The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Hey, Typology Tribe, Ian Morgan Cron here. Oh, my friends, I am so excited to be with you. I'm here in the Typology Studios with... Woo-hoo! Anthony Skinner. Ian Cron, how are you doing? Andiamo a mangiare. <laughs> this is a holdover from Italy? Yeah, man. Oof. Don't keep rubbing it in. Hey, man, five pounds heavier than I was when I left. Oh, you came back with some arms. Are you doing push-ups while you're over there? No, that's actually, that's just flab <laughs> hanging off. That's 1,800 pounds of pasta, boar, boar meat ragu. I mean, my gosh, I ate myself across four cities in two weeks. Randy and Katie were shooting pictures. So. They were with me, right? Randy and Katie right. Williams, my dear friends, right. we laughed and ate. I bet you did. Across the country of Italy <laughs> in two weeks. I'm surprised I got back. I wasn't arrested. We've hey, got an amazing guest today. We have an amazing guest today worth coming back for. <sighs> Do you have anyone in your life that you just admire so much that mm. you really know personally and yeah. you just, they're a hero to you. Yeah. Do you have anybody like that? Yeah, totally. Who is it? I'd Besides say, me. <laughs> well, you are one of those people, Ian. Continue. I have deep admiration for you, brother. Um, but I would say uh, Bill Johnson, he is uh, a beautiful man and he has had a big impact on me. He is a mentor, a spiritual father of mine. And then another guy named Jack Nicholson, not the actor, but a therapist and integrative coach. Uh, beautiful man, both those guys. And they're kind of heroes, they're right? They're heroes. Man, we all need heroes. Yes. And, the, and our guest today, Becca Stevens, really is one of my heroes. Um, you know, I work with Becca at St. Augustine's. She's an Episcopal priest. She's an author. And here's the deal, man. She is the founder and president of Thistle Farms. I mean, I hope everybody knows what Thistle Farms is. It is a global community of survivors of human trafficking, sex trafficking, and addiction. And, and Thistle Farms is all about justice enterprises. Um, she has been named a White House champion of change, a CNN hero. I saw her. Did you ever watch? Did you watch the CNN hero thing when I she did. was on it? Oh my gosh! Pretty amazing. Amazing. She holds numerous honorary doctorates. Man, I wish I had a couple of those. <laughs> I don't have any of those. She's been featured on the Today Show, ABC, World News, NPR, the New York Times, and her most recent book, which I commend to everybody, Love Heals was published by Harper Collins. Man, you're going to hear why Becca's a, a real hero to me. Oh, uh, she's an absolute force. And I would say even just getting to hang out with some of the women that have been through her program. Yeah. It's life-changing. Yeah, man. And you know what's so cool about this show? Yeah. Is that Becca came in really, I mean, I love this. Yeah. What people are going to hear is somebody coming in to this show not knowing very much about the Enneagram and actually really hesitant. Yeah about knowing their type. Yes. And that's the first we've had on here. And it really evolved into a beautiful conversation. And I mean, I just can't wait for people to hear it. It's moving. Yeah, it yeah. really is. So my friends, let's not, let's not dally any longer. Let's not. Let's get into my conversation with my good friend, Becca Stevens. 
Becca Stevens, welcome to Typology. Thank you, Ian Cron. It's good to be here. <laughs> Listen, I'm such a huge fan. It's fun just to have an actual conversation that's being recorded. Mm, continue. <laughs> yeah. Does that make you a three? No, it does well. Uh, obviously, you now know the Enneagram better than, than I thought you did. Um, I have been looking forward to this interview f- for the longest time. Oh. The longest time. Number one, because we work together, right? We do ministry together, which is fantastic. Secondly, because you are one, this is not BS, you are one of my favorite people on the entire planet. Oh my gosh, you are mine too. (laughs) (laughs) This is going to be easy. Yeah, I mean, I just have so much, not just admiration for who Mm. you are and what you're doing in the world, but I just have such a rich affection for you, for the person you are, you know, well apart from any of your amazing achievements and accomplishments, which are really storied. I mean, they are, quote unquote, impressive, but you have moved the needle in the world Mm. in terms of bringing healing and shalom and wholeness in places of rivenness and, and brokenness to me. Like, and you've done it with so much quirky joy, humor, almost this St. Francis-like kind of awe and lyrical language. I mean, you're, you are a person who is in, in, has an extraordinary number of superpowers. Well, you're kind. And I think one of the things, though, about it being fun and humorous and kind of quirky and all that is... I think there's a lot of myths around women who have recovered from sexual trauma, prostitution, prison. You know, it's like, oh, my gosh, your work must be so hard. It must be, you know, just so terrible. And so and it's like, you know, we laugh all the time in the community of Thistle Farms that there is tons of joy. There is not a more joyous group of people and people that will laugh. They'll forgive easy. They'll laugh easy. I mean, we'll cry some for sure. And there are horrible stories. But that stuff is born in this work of justice. Mm. So for our folks, you know, and re- realizing I know the story is long and beautiful, but in, in as sort of efficient a fashion as you can, what is the story? What is the story of you and the story of Thistle Farms? Like, how do they meet? Just just sure. help folks understand it. Well, you know, Thistle Farms has been around for about 23 years, and we provide residential housing, justice, social enterprises, Um, a national network um, for survivors and global partnerships with women survivor artisans. So it's, you know, housing, it's jobs, it's a lifelong sisterhood. And my journey intersects with it in that, you know, I'm a survivor myself. My dad was killed um, when I was really little. And then I went through some horrible years. Mm. Um, The guy that stepped in to help my family began abusing me and it happened beginning at the church where Mm. my dad was the pastor Mm. and so I came out resilient and broken and crazy and all of those things and scared of the world and mad at the world all of those things and when I got ordained as an Episcopal priest what I really wanted to do was start sanctuaries for women to say you know look you don't have to go this isn't a treatment center this isn't a halfway house this isn't prison this isn't anything but just your home and enjoy it and tell me what you need for the next two years Mm. and that's the story and since then how many women have graduated from Magdalene I mean just give us some 
sense of the oh scale gosh. of things. Yeah, so it grows really fast, and we're still scaling. We're susca- what is it? What is the sustainable and scalable model? Mm. So in Nashville, we have about thirty residents at any given time living two years free with no authority that lives in the house with them. There's about a hundred people that work at Thistle Farms. There's now 50 sister communities around the country. I spend tons of time flying around and opening doors um, for new houses and raising money. And we're in 20 countries now. We have 30 global partners. It's about 1,700 women that work. So it's a lot of women. Amazing. It's fun. It's my joy. I promise you. It's like um, I get to do... Everything I love, arts and crafts, justice, <laughs> yes. yep. preaching, meeting people. I get to, to share stories, one of my favorite things in the world. So, I, you know, I love it all. I really do. I can't believe it, but I do. I mean, well, I get to witness your joy, and I get to witness the life-giving dimension of what you do as it courses through you, as you speak, as you interact with people. I mean, I just feel so richly i mean i i guess the way i put it is and you know you know this about how i feel i just every time i'm with you i feel enlarged Mm -hmm. i just feel like my soul and my heart become more spacious and more open and energized and and moved at what compassion and empathy and a, a, a hunger for justice and uh, humor and in the tr- hilarity in that real sense of the word. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it's not flippant. It's like, hey, man, life is hard. and But you know what? Let's not forget the absurdity and the irony in the whole thing, you know, because if, 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 if the journey is, you know, missing that component, you right. know, it's horrible. So, I mean, everything you're saying about your journey and the things that you've done, I mean, it, they, you just radiate so much uh, – goodness and and hope and resurrection is what you raise you just radiate resurrection oh well i think no you know i think and you know this like if the news was what we saw when we swiped left on our phone mm-hmm. i mean it's horrible and it's depressing and i may not get out of bed and may not laugh that much <laughs> <laughs> well i mean some of it's funny but truly like the news that I get to participate in, the making of the news in this world of people, there's so many people that have compassion and want to hope and want to be enlarged and want to join together to make a difference. And it's like, there's a lot of good news. And it kind of does, it, it, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful way to experience life. You know, my whole advice to people is run to community Mm. run don't walk Mm. you know it's true i mean it's like if you want to be involved in action and justice and feel really deep and good about this world and live with meaning and go to bed tired run to community they're going to ask more of you than you want they're going to hold you up they you know safe community obviously but i think that that's where it's like it's been my saving grace has been found in communities Mm. So one of the things we've laughed about before uh-huh. is uh, I remember when my book, The Road Back to You, came out. You said, oh, I can't wait to read this book about the angiogram. Or you called it the, en- you called it the enemagram. No, I called it the anagram. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know what it was. I, th- I thought it was like a mix-up of 
a lot of different words that you were like dog and God. <laughs> like anagrams, <laughs> yeah. right? Like a written book right. about anagrams, right? So, which is, you know, I mean, it's St. Augustine's, right? There are a lot of Enneagram fans, right? A lot of, um, I know on the staff, you know, you're kind of surrounded by a number of people who dig the Enneagram, yeah, right? Yeah, for sure. But you have, because you're an outspoken, fun person who doesn't often have a word, an idea go through your head that doesn't get expressed, uh, you, you've told me before, like, I really am a little scared of the Enneagram. I am. <laughs> That's true. Why? I have no, I, well, I do know why. Um, I just want to say, first of all, it's not because I don't love your books. I love your books. St. Francis was life-changing for me. Loved mm. it. Chasing Francis. But um, I think of it as a diagnosis, and I'm scared of all diagnoses in this world. <laughs> why is it? I have no idea. I mean, like, I guess, I mean, I think um, probably, it probably stems back from the first story I told about somebody in the church you know, taking control and then abusing me in a horrible way for years. So authority is not really safe or good for me. Mm. And I think people um, who have that history sometimes might have that same feeling. I don't know. But for me, it's almost like I think um, whatever the bad number is, what if you pick that one out for me mm. and put that on me? And then what will I be? <laughs> like, and or tell me the best number. That's the one I'll choose. <laughs> I'll answer the questions in a way to get to that number. You know, like, I don't necessarily trust everybody that's answering the questions, nor everybody that's putting the number to that person. And maybe I think also, too, it's like maybe I'm part lots of numbers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I remember I was okay when I learned I was an Aries. I can live with Aries. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, that's my zodiac sign. And then I remember I was uh, um, INTJ. Mm Mm-hmm. When Myers-Briggs, yeah. I had to take that in order to get ordained. You're an I? Uh-huh. You're an introvert. Uh-huh. Okay. Is that wrong? No. Is that the bad one? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. But so in order to get ordained at that point, you had to take the Myers-Briggs. That right. was going to give us all this insight about ourselves. It was going to help us in this way. And um, I did that one. And then there was another one that happened. What was the other one? Disc? Maybe it was disc. Right. And I didn't do that. And then... I just was like, at that point, it's been 25 years, and I think, I wonder if, am I still an Aries? Am I still an INTJ? <laughs> do I go, do you grow past that stuff? Yeah, right. Well, one of the reasons I've really looked forward to this conversation, number one, is because I love hanging with you, but secondly, because, you know, um, you're one of the very few people who've come on the show who, A, doesn't really know a ton about the Enneagram, secondly, really doesn't know your type. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-uh, I don't. And so I I don't know what's going to happen on this show, except <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun somehow or yes. another. And and I guess the thing that I want folks to know is that, um, guess what? Not everybody is going to go rushing toward the Enneagram with a tremendous amount of enthusiasm. Right? It's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily... Um, uh, going to be a journey that that everybody wants to take mm-hmm. you know what i mean it's and and people will approach it from different angles i think one of the things you just mentioned that's so important for people to understand is just the role of trauma mm-hmm. um you know I've, I've experienced trauma growing up with an alcoholic dad and abuse and my own struggles with addictions uh, over the years uh and you know on and on i i think you know, uh, trauma makes the journey towards self-understanding difficult. 
because lots of other la- there, when there's trauma, you get a lot of overlay, mm-hmm. uh, over personality. You, you know what I mean? And so, kind of trying to come to an understanding of your personality style becomes more complicated for people with trauma. Um, second of all, we, people with trauma may come with uh, a certain degree of hesitation, as you've expressed, and, and reticence about, well, what is this? You know, I don't want to get trapped into some some kind of a box or a label. Yeah. And, and, and often what at times I tell people, though, is, you know, that the Enneagram doesn't put you in a box so much as it tells you about the box you're already in and how to get out. Oh, that's a beautiful way of saying it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense to me. That I'm already I'm already in a place, and this is a better self understanding. How will it help me make money? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. How will it further the mission of Thistle Farms? I mean, what happens to people? Like, okay, yeah. So you learn about this box you're in to do it, but what's the the what's the goal of it? Yeah. Well, I think the first goal is self knowledge. Mm-hmm. And you never, I mean, you know, I'm not a reformed guy, you know, by a long shot, but I do think there's some wisdom in this idea. Well, let me, actually, let me just give you a quote from St. Augustine, right? And since both of us, you're the rector at St. Augustine's and I am, uh, you know, on the volunteer, I don't know. Residential theologian. Residential theologian, whatever that means. Oh, theologian in residence. That's it, right. right. Theologian in We had to give it a name of something, right? Yeah. Um, St. Augustine once said, used to pray, Lord let me know myself that I may know thee. Mm. And that is a quote right from Augustine. Uh, Calvin said uh, something very, very similar, which was, um, there is no knowledge of God without knowledge of self. And I think that actually the church has lost this vision that we've been so consumed with, I got to know God at the exclusion of knowing myself. In fact, sometimes Mm. I think people use religion as a way uh, to defend themselves against having to know who they are, Mm. you know, Mm -hmm. so that the focus becomes all external versus, you know, reflecting and thinking about, well, who am I inside and what does that tell me about who God is? Right. And I also think religion has been used a lot to specifically not let people know themselves or to shut down any self yeah awareness we have a woman who is in the program right now at thistle farms who was raised in a very 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 fundamentalist cult i mean which was a cesspool for child brides and incest i mean she has a man's name tattooed in hebrew on her arm Mm. you know the branding that goes on and i think it's actually been used almost like what you're saying but like on steroids Mm -hmm. to say do not have a thought do not know yourself only know what i tell you is Mm -hmm. true right yeah so in its extreme yeah it's like be afraid of who you are and of course that's Mm. all the people i see all the time are living in that extreme (laughs) yeah right you know so i mean i see it and i feel it like in a a, in, in a real way and there's been a million ways over the years even you know obviously before the enneagram where people find paths to know themselves Mm -hmm. and so this is one of the tools to help people know themselves but it's not like if you haven't done this it doesn't mean that you haven't been on a journey no i love what you said be afraid of who you are or even be afraid to find out who you are yes you know yeah 
And, and I guess, and you know, I've had a, you know, on all honesty, a rocky road on the uh, recovery road. And you've been such a beautiful part of my journey of healing and, and learning. And one of the things I've just learned is, man, if you don't, if you don't know about and face your shadow. And when I say shadow, it's not just what's dark about you, but also what's most beautiful about you. Mm-hmm then you are moving through the world usually in such with such self-limiting and self-defeating patterns of thinking acting and and feeling Mm -hmm. and and so self-knowledge you know is is i think a route uh, a journey toward understanding uh who you are that you might live in the world with more wisdom you can move through the world with more wisdom and you will do less banging guardrail to guardrail through people's lives if you know what's best about you and what's worst about you and be able to learn how to monitor and regulate the ways that you predictably and habitually act, think, and feel um, so that you're like, oh, here it comes. Here's this repeating pattern that is going through my life all the time. So in your mind, like in experience with everybody and including yourself, what makes people bump into the guardrail? Like when you say like that, when, when you bumped into that guardrail, is it because it's like there's blinders on? Is it because I do know the truth, but I'm acting in my own the way, yeah. a different way just because I want to? I mean, what is it? I think most people go through life asleep. I think most people go through life on autopilot. I think that most people go through life with so much uh, unacknowledged, unprocessed um, material, but underneath the waterline of con- of consciousness, uh, that they, there are motives and errant beliefs, and that are old scripts and patterns from childhood that we pick up, real or perceived messages, either through trauma. I mean, in some ways, the enneagram. Let me put it this way. That, okay. This is kind of an interesting way of thinking about it. The Enneagram, your type may be uh, the way that you first began to deal with trauma. Mm-hmm. In other words, your type is how did I, as a little person, everybody got trauma. So nobody gets off the hook. Right. Right. Um, you know, in some ways, your type uh, will children. reveal to you the way that you essentially dealt with trauma. Mm-hmm. Well, what did you just say? I said, except for my kids. I'm <laughs> totally right. teasing. Right. My your feral kids, no children. Trauma. Yeah, they, they grew up in Eden. <laughs> right. Absolutely. No, yeah. yeah. Every no one escapes it is what you're saying. No, and because of that, it. what happens? Well, I think we develop a personality that's loaded with uh sort of defensive stratagems, ways of coping in the world, and it was really important for us as little people. So I don't want to in any way say it was bad. It was necessary, right? Mm-hmm. But lots of the things that helped you survive the morning of life in the evening of life come back to haunt you and hurt you. Because they don't work anymore. Mm. Now, that's not to say that the Enneagram wants you to delete your personality and start over because it's bad. It's beautiful. But there are dimensions or aspects of it that you have to decouple from because they don't work anymore. They worked for you when you were being abused. or They worked for you growing up in an alcoholic family or in a perfect family, but where you got messages that were painful and hurtful. What child doesn't get the message growing up? I don't care how good your family is, but in this broken world, what child doesn't get the message? There is something about you that does not conform 
or live up to the desires of the important people in your life. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at HeftyRenew.com. I know. I mean, I, I, I hear you. I guess what, what I'm thinking, this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking when you say um, it doesn't work for you anymore. What does that mean? I don't understand what that means. Like it doesn't sure. work for you. So I'm a four on the Enneagram. I'm a, I'm okay, the, I'm going to be a four too then. Okay. For, the, for this pur- <laughs> for this, these purposes, I too am a four because I want to be like you. Okay, so a four is called the individualist. And I'll go through these with you in a second because I want to actually see if we can't maybe make a, a first step okay. on the journey toward understanding maybe what your way of being in the world, okay. your type is, okay? So for a four, the individualist, the unconscious motivation that runs in, in the unconscious world for most fours until they start to do their work is, um, um, I need to be special and unique because there is something fundamentally flawed at the core of who I am. And I need to almost compensate by being kind of special, unique in the world Mm. um, um, in order to find belonging because fours are notoriously, they believe that they're so different from other people uh, that no one really understands them, um, that there's something off, there's some deficiency at, at their core. They can't name it. It's almost always unnameable. It's a feeling. It's a sense. Like, there's just something off about me. We're, we're in what's called the shame triad. There's Shame is a major theme that runs through the life of a four. We tend to struggle with envy. We call that our passion. Fours are always comparing themselves to other people and coming up short. And they, they tend to envy other people's happiness. We mm. tend to be melancholy. Uh, we tend to look at other people and think, Gosh, those people look like they really fit in the world. They found a place to belong. They seem well-adjusted. And, and, oh, and by the way, they all went to better schools. They all have better houses. They all have better cars. They all have better jobs and better, you know, what's wrong with me? Again, the sense of why do I live on the Isle of Misfit Toys? And why do I feel like somewhere along the line I did something wrong? But even more, that I am something wrong? And that wrongness um, actually disqualifies me from really belonging. And so I think that's uh, the way a four thinks. You're, you're not, you're shaking your head like, no, I, I don't want to be a four. four. I'll go five. What's five? <laughs> All right. So for me as a, uh, as a, as a four, that, that story helped me understand the world as a little person. You know, like this is the way the world is. This is how the world works. This is who I am in the world. And all of us need that as a little person. You know, who am I? Where do I belong? You know, we, these are the kinds of questions we need to, we need to answer. And, and for a four, you know, that's kind of the way they see the world. And as painful as it is, it's a story and everybody needs a story. Mm-hmm. Now, that story helped me become a writer 
Mm. And uh, I wrote songs out of that sort of worldview. I mean, how many, you know, your husband's a Grammy award-winning songwriter. He's a Hall of Fame, uh, in the Country Music Hall of Fame as of this year, right? Fantastic. Yeah, isn't that exciting? You know, how many songwriters do we know who, out of that worldview, Mm. wrote some incredible songs, right? Do you remember, I mean, do you remember? I have a memory, Marcus and I had been, um, we'd only been married a few years. And one day he was, you know, in his blue period, as he called it. And I said, do you want to go talk to somebody? Like, do you want to go, like, go see a therapist? And he goes, no, those, that works good. For, it works good for me. Yeah, right. <laughs> totally. Exactly. So there's the beautiful thing in the shadow. Yeah. That's called the, the, the in, in Jungian psychology, that's called uh, the golden shadow. That's the beautiful part mm. of who he is. And out of that type right can emerge beautiful things but if you carry the shame if you carry the message of i don't belong into the world if you can continue to carry that into adulthood it is really limiting and and defeating you in some profound ways right and people go into autopilot on these these stories you know and they live in them and they live in them and they make the same mistakes over and over again in them and they wonder to themselves why do i keep doing this and how you know how do i break free of those limiting aspects of my personality that no longer serve me mm. so i think that's part of the healing beauty of the enneagram it's like you start to realize i'm more than my personality that my personality is a part of who i am but it's not all of who i am Right. And that's a beautiful freeing moment. Um, and, and the Enneagram provides a growth path. You know, let me give you an example of this. So at church on Easter, last Easter, I'm on the altar. We're having this, you know, it's huge. We're having this gigantic celebration. I mean, mm. if any of you are in Nashville at Easter, you got to come to St. Augustine's because it is a blast, right? It is a blast. It is a blast. The music alone. Oh, man. And, and so I'm on the altar and I, there's a, I don't remember who they were, but there was a guy in the front row wearing a seersucker suit and standing next to him was a 10 year old wearing a seersucker suit and they're both wearing bow ties and he's got his arm around that boy. And I looked over at him and part of me went, you know, hmm. why didn't I have that as a kid growing up? Why? And I started to go there, envy, comparing melancholy starting to tell the story that that part of my story that no longer serves me to make sense of the world and i was like i uh, because i know the enneagram i was able to go whoa stop now you can continue down this road you are free to continue down Mm -hmm. this road but dude this is easter this is resurrection day. This is not the day right. to be playing the envy card and, and going all four on this thing. You are actually Lazarus come out. You know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to live this story anymore. Right. You know, you can live out of the best side of being a four, but you don't have to be held down by the tragic unhappy side of the four. Mm. And that's true for every type. Does that make sense? Yeah, it's beautiful. When you talk about it, it's beautiful, Ian. Truly. And I think, um, you know, I can see all, I mean, all the folks I know who have done this have done beautiful work on that. And they they have a language I don't understand even, Mm. you know. And then I always think there's also people out there who, you know, basically have, have taken psychology 101 and they're numbering everybody. Yes, 
Okay, so is part of your has part of your resistance to the Enneagram been that you have run into people who have weaponized the Enneagram and run around labeling people and being obnoxious with it and pounding people over the head with it, can't stop talking about it. You know what I mean? Is, yeah, has that been it's, part of it's it? It's like categorizing somebody, like you can, if you can say they're ADD, then you can dismiss them. Mm. Oh, he's a two. Eh. I, don't, I, mean, I don't know what, that, what the number would be. Right. Well, everybody, listen to me. Okay. I'm listening. Don't do that. <laughs> yeah, over a beer. Yeah, I mean, just don't. Just, right, yeah, I mean, right. just don't do it. You know, because it it actually doesn't serve the world well. Let people go on their own journey with it. You know, or not. Yeah. But but please don't foist limited amounts of knowledge usually onto other people and think you know more about them because you quote unquote know their type and chances are you don't anyhow. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I understand. But I love what you're saying, though, about the idea of it being a path towards freedom mm-hmm. and a path that is about um, loving God Oh yeah. through the knowledge of self. I love that, Ian. Totally. You know, I, I oftentimes tell people, I remember when I first read Carl Rahner, the theologian, when I was in seminary, and I, he, was the only, he was the only theologian who made me cry. And the, the reason was— Wait, did you read Howard Thurman? Yeah, uh, no, I didn't read Howard Thurman. He would have made you weep. Yeah, I mean, I've, I have in the years since. Yeah, but, I love him. But, but, but Carl Rahner really did because he would say, if you want to get to know God, get to know yourself. I mean, essentially that. Mm-hmm. Because you're the best, if you are made in God's image, you are the best uh, sort of primary source material you got. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I tell people, if you want to know God, get a little self-knowledge because if you're made in the image of God, you're going to learn a lot from yourself about the nature of who God is. Mm, that's beautiful. You know, I remember being on a trip, you know, I go when I go around the country and I'm opening up houses or raising money for people. I always travel with women who are graduates of the program. And I remember I was up in Michigan and a woman who had been trafficked since about the age of 13. She went down to a truck stop to get a hitch a ride out of her house and stayed out there for 15 years. Mm. And she came with me and we were staying in a hotel and she has her own hotel room and she said it's the first time i've ever stayed in a hotel where i don't have to have sex wow and i said well you know are you scared or are you feeling she says no no i'm fine i'm fine she goes to the room and about 10 minutes later there's a knock on my door and she goes can i come in and i'm like absolutely and she said the weirdest thing just happened i started brushing my teeth and i looked in the mirror and I saw something beautiful. And that was the first time she'd ever seen that. Wow. And she didn't even know what to do with it. Mm. And we just sat there and cried and laughed and talked a little bit about, like, what if you do think you're beautiful? What does that mean? And how can you hold on to that glimpse that you just saw? That's the other thing is it goes back immediately to, mm. I suck, I have so much shame, I'm so sad, you know. But when you glimpse it, it is stunning. And, you know, I, I, one of my hopes for people who do the Enneagram is they have those moments. Yeah. Now, part of the journey is you got to kind of go through the crap, too. I mean, you, in order to get to that, you have to acknowledge, okay, where are the broken pieces? Where, where are the amends I have to make? Where's the, the brokenness that as, re, as it relates to my type that, that needs to be owned and, and uh, uh, you know, uh, Put on, put on a leash and fed kibble from now time to time, but not let it run your life. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? 
Um, and But I do hope that, and I try and do this in my workshops with people, to say, you know, you're, it's like what, I remember the Dalai Lama once said, he said, you're perfect. You just need a little work. <laughs> and we hold this imbalance, right? Yeah. You're perfect and you need a little work, you know? And, and I want people to walk out thinking, I am so beautiful. And of course, that's frightening for people because mm-hmm. it's actually really hard for people to own their beauty because yeah. I think what happens in that situation is, like you just said, well, now what do I do? Right. Mm-hmm. If I'm this beautiful, I'm on the hook. Mm-hmm. I actually have to go in the world and be beautiful and be accountable to that beauty and mm-hmm. responsible for taking right. care of that beauty and making sure that that beauty shines and nothing yes. gets in the way of it. And I do think what the Enneagram does is it helps you get remove obstacles for from your beauty really shining through. And to me, that's an amazing mission. <laughs> Want to know your type? Sure. <laughs> did, did you hear all that talk in there? She, even after all I just Wait, said, all that like poetry, this. I just I unleashed that. I absolutely do. I absolutely do. I just unleashed all that poetry. Went, sure. <laughs> sure. Give it to me. I've already done it. All right. It so in your here's mind. just a. Here's just a. I'll give you a couple of. Just a couple of quick questions. Sure. And we may not get there today in this conversation because it, the journey can. It's not something you go. Okay, here it's so simple because it's not mm-hmm. simple oftentimes finding your type. So I just want to alert you and others. Hey, we may not get there today, but 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 let's just see what the journey beginning looks like. I'm know? in. Okay. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't. I'm p- totally present and awoke. Oh, right. <laughs> so when you make decisions, or um, do you tend to make them from your head, your heart, or your gut? Decisions come quickly for me. Tell me about that. Um, decisions come quickly. <coughs> like I can be thinking about something and then an idea arises and it makes sense in my head and it makes sense in my heart and it makes sense in my gut. I think they come like I mean, I've started seven not-for-profits looking at justice issues and figuring things out and they're all doing well. Like they're good ideas. So mm-hmm. I trust myself on those ideas. Or... Like naming a baby, like I just think it just comes to me. And mm-hmm. what does that mean? Nothing yet. I'm just nothing. It's not bad or good. It just is. No, but- I, people tend to make. Everybody has the ability to obviously think, feel, right, uh-huh. and uh, or or to make decisions from their head and from their heart and from their gut, and all three get used mm-hmm. by everybody. My best decisions are when I'm in bed, right, and the noise has all gone away, and I can hear myself. Like I can hear my own, I can hear my thoughts mm-hmm. and I feel like, yep, that's it. Like I can write sermons. That's why I have to go in a bath. I have to go in my bed. I have to go somewhere like, like I can't like, I can't write a mission statement in a committee. Right. But I have to get really quiet to hear. Okay. So <clears throat> in the order, let's just say of okay. those three. Which one in your mind would be the dominant one? Like I would say it's probably my head, and that head has to resonate with my heart and gut. Okay, so you you sort of make decisions based on logic or about what makes sense to you, or is it on intuition, or is it on, you know, feelings? 
Is it on feelings, thoughts, and or an intuition? Which of those three would be? No, because I would say the words like it makes complete. It, it would make something that would have to make sense. It wouldn't be a hunch. Right. It wouldn't be um, like a stab in the dark. Like I feel pretty sure about it. Like I've thought it through. Okay. So I'm going to just give you nine statements. Okay. And when I uh, hit one that really resonates with you, okay, you may just raise your hand. All okay. right. Well, that's not so, good for podcasts. Well, no, say. I'll let people know when you raise your okay, hand. Okay, I'll tap the mic. Okay, you tap the mic. All right. Okay. I'll be the narrator. So the first one okay, would be... Yeah, you be the narrator. So these are what's called unconscious motivations. Okay. All right. Can 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 you raise your hand more than once or solely No, yeah, you once? can raise it more than once. Okay. Yeah. Uh, by the way, you are all nine numbers. So Thank let me you. Make that, make that clear. We're all nine numbers, but there's just one okay. that we identify with the unconscious motivation with that type more than with the other eight. Okay. Okay. First one, I have a need, and sometimes these are compulsive needs for all nine types. I have a compulsive need to perfect myself, others, and the world. This is a, this type is called the perfectionist. No. Twos are called the helpers, and their unconscious motivation is, they would say, I have a need to meet the needs of others uh, and uh, in order to win their love and approval. No. Threes are called the achievers. I'm going to quit saying no between every one of them. Wait till the end so I can hear them all. Okay. Well, no, but but okay. okay. We'll, we can go back and you can okay. change your mind. That's fine. Threes are called the achievers. They're unconscious. They would say, I have a need to succeed and to appear successful and to avoid failure at all costs. I would say that's close. That's close as on any of them, but I don't want to. Can I? Um, maybe there's another one, but that's there pretty is, close. Okay, that's fine. That's pretty close. I really don't want to mess up. Okay. Not perfectionist, but like, like, oh, I'll figure it out where this is going to work. All right. For sure. So, cool. So we'll circle back, okay. right? And we'll just sort of eliminate okay. some and then we'll, okay. we'll circle around. All right. So fours, you've already heard. I have a need to be special and unique. So I think. Um, you know, we've got members of our of our congregation. We got a lot of fours. We got a lot of songwriters, a lot of artist types, mm. a lot of therapists. We got a lot of really cool, interesting people that way. I would say because he's been on the show, I'm not outing anybody. Like Matthew Perryman Jones is a four. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't um, really have that shame thing. Okay, great. I don't think you're a four, by the way. Okay. Now, I can't type you, but yeah. I don't knowing. I don't you, feel that. As I, now, there is a subtype now, I do for, want Jesus, like if he's feeding 5,000 on the hillside, I right. want him to go by and recognize me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're getting closer. <laughs> um, all right, so fives. Okay. Uh, they're called the investigators. Um, they have a need to know and perceive. That's a deep need for them. So um, they tend to be knowledge need hoarders. Need to do what? To perceive and understand, and they're knowledge hoarders. They they, they tend yeah. to, Okay. Sixes are called the loyalists. And the the loyalists have a, um, a need to feel safe and secure. So that's a primary need for them. They tend to be worst-case scenario thinkers, and they, they, but, but interestingly, and this is something you mentioned the word authority earlier. So let me just peg, throw something out at you. There are two types of sixes. It's the only number that has two variants, but I would say that sixes just tend to run between two poles. Authority is a big issue for sixes. Mm-hmm. Who's in charge? They want to know if the authority figure is trustworthy, not, you know, tr- not trustworthy. They tend to be suspicious. 
of authority figures, and they, they kind of vacillate between wanting to uh, either rebel against the authority figure or submit to the authority figure. Because in their mind, okay, you're just shaking your head now. No, not even thinking about that All right, one. Sevens. But the other thing is, I don't want to ever like live safe. Oh, okay. There you go. I I, I don't want to actually. I think I could eliminate some of these numbers really fast with you because I know you okay. well. But I'm just giving it all to you, right? Gotcha. So sevens are called the enthusiasts. Oh, I am very enthusiastic. Oh, I know that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know that. So sevens. Um, have they, they they have a need to um uh pursue adventure escapades fun it's all about fun it's all about in all in service to avoiding difficult feelings no okay i like difficult feelings you do uh-huh i don't like them in me i like them in other people <laughs> <laughs> I like to be there for other people and their difficult feelings. So empathy is a big value for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Like I can cry with anybody. I can cry okay. with anybody on this planet. If you start crying right now, I could cry with you. I've seen it. And I can feel it. I mean, like I can feel it in my bones. Okay. When my husband's back, when Marcus's back goes out, my back hurts. Wow. That's not probably not good. Don't, I probably shouldn't have said that to you. <laughs> Don't judge. Remember, y'all were not judging on no, this No, there's no judgment. Okay. This is judgment-free zone. Okay, eights are called the challengers. Mm-hmm. Eights um, have a need to be strong, to assert strength and control over the environment and other people in order to mask uh, weakness or vulnerability. I feel like I want to present strong, but I feel like I do that through vulnerability. Okay. So it's not to mask vulnerability, but right. vulnerability, I like being strong, and I think vulnerability is the path to that. Do you think, what would you like, though, as a 25-year-old? Would you have said that about yourself then, or would you have just said... Well, I was in divinity school, and they really praised, you know, when you're doing your spiritual autobiography and all that. I mean, I never had any of that stuff. I mean, I was so... I mean, our whole family was so broken open when my dad was killed by the drunk driver. My mom was 35 with five kids and thrust into poverty. And she was really, really strong. But she was also, um, you know, she was vulnerable with us. Right. So I feel like... I feel like I don't see those as, as opposing... So I'm probably not an eight. So far, I'm sticking well, with three. We, we don't. We don't, we don't know, know yet. We don't know yet. Okay, but I definitely think I like to present. Like, listen, I got this. Like, you know, like if something's going bad in the community of Thistle Farms, I will be the rock that you can come to. I will be the lighthouse shining while you're in your rocky boat. Mm-hmm. So eights are very concerned with matters of justice. Yes, then I am an eight. Well, maybe. Okay. The other, other numbers would be not necessarily. Okay. Ones can be. Uh, sixes can be. But for eights, fairness, justice, um, standing up for the underdog. Yes. Is a gigantic theme. I love that. All right, all of you Typology listeners, I hope you have enjoyed part one of our two-part series with the beautiful and fantabulous Becca Stevens. Be sure and stick around next week 
The conversation just gets deeper and we really begin to land on what number she is. Until then, we hope you have a fantastic week. Hey, that's it for me, Anthony Skinner. We love you all. We are super grateful for your listenership. Thanks to you all. We look forward to seeing you right here next week. Until then, grace and peace. Peace.